0: She's
1: Episode 972 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by our Patreon supporters and the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindberg of The Ringer, joined by Sam Miller of ESPN. Hello. Hey. So I'm working on very little sleep here. We've both written about this game. I assume we're going to find something to say about this game that we haven't already said. How much did you have
0: to throw away when Raja When Rajai Davis hit the home run. Like how much writing or how much research or how much mental preparation or did you have a like a a frame yet?
1: I didn't have to throw really anything away as it turned out, because I was writing about the Cubs either way. Bauman was writing about the Indians either way. Uh-huh. So because we could split it that way, I had kind of come up with a Cubs win plan and a Cubs lose plan and had sort of started working on each of them, and I was further along on the Cubs win version. So for a a moment there, I thought it had set me back, but as it turned out, not really. Hmm. So I got to enjoy everything without having to worry about what it did to
0: my story. Was that uh, the same for you? No, it wasn't. (laughs) I, I was after, I think I mentioned this, but after the Cubs took the game in Cleveland, I had an idea of how I was gonna write it yeah and and so then uh, I had to I was sort of rooting for that then because uh-huh. I I wanted like I wanted to write that <laughs> yeah. and then the Indians pull ahead three one. so then I I over the next uh, that night and the next day I, I got maybe 60% of the way through a uh, Indians piece
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, and then I went into game seven basically blank and then after the Cubs pulled ahead, well, after the third, or maybe after the fourth, I started writing. i had a i had a I, I had a much better I think I had a much better piece than either of the previous two would have been. And that was it. Like that was gold that survived right until the home run. and and then I just re i threw it all out and could just enjoy the game without rooting even implicitly for either team. yeah, uh, it no longer mattered at all <laughs> to me. And I just waited until it ended. Uh, you should publish the version that we'll never
1: see in uh, tweets or something.
0: Eh. <laughs> it wouldn't. It would be totally boring. It <laughs> was like it is now the least memorable parts. I mean, it was all about parts that were going to be super memorable, and now they just aren't memorable.
1: Yeah, well, almost everything Felt <laughs> that game was pretty memorable. I don't know. I'll enjoy rewatching it at some point a few years from now when I have four and a half hours <laughs> set aside. And I'm sure I'll remember parts of it that I've forgotten already, just because there was so much to keep track of. As I was writing, I was asking my editor, like, "What, what inning was that? When did that happen? Did this happen before that?" It was there were so many twists and turns. So yeah, I don't even know how to uh, approach this. Really, I don't know how to to get our minds wrap our minds around a game so momentous that. Everyone was watching more so than any game for the past 25 years, and it didn't disappoint. I assume it didn't disappoint, right? Like If you were a total non-baseball fan, this was your first baseball game ever, I assume you would have thought, wow, this is the greatest sport ever, right? Or maybe not. Maybe this is four and a half hours long, and I don't know what's going on, and all these guys are making errors, and the umpire is terrible, and I don't know what anyone's doing. (laughs) So I'm not sure if it was the best advertisement for baseball or
0: what was the what was wrong with the umpire yeah
1: strikes and falls. really was, oh it, I weird
0: ones there were some weird games to me in this series that, along those lines but i didn't notice it in in yeah, this game at all i thought so i thought it
1: was a game where just everyone was constantly screwing up and it was great like the managers made oh, that's how i felt that, about
0: game five
1: yeah yeah, I mean, in this one obviously there were heroics and players doing great things and really great plays, but even a lot of the great plays were sort of made possible by other players not making great plays, like Chris Bryant scoring on the on the tag up from third on a shallow sack fly or Almora taking second on a tag up. Both of those were Rajai Davis sort of not putting himself in a good position to catch the ball and throw and he was the guy who was out there for defense instead of Tyler Nickwin. And yet, of course, he hit one of the biggest World Series home runs ever. So everyone who did bad things mostly redeemed themselves. Like Javier Baez had bad plays, but he also had a home run. And it, it was just, I don't know, just a really, really rich game.
0: Davis, uh, the sack fly, I thought, was on Davis. The Almora tag, I did not think was on Davis at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a really deep ball. It was really deep. For a second, it might be gone. It was at the track.
0: Yeah, Almora's good. Uh, You know, Almora's fast, I should say. I think think there's... I actually think that we're somewhat misled because the standard operating practice when you're on first base and there's a fly ball hit to the outfield is to go halfway. And so we sort of feel like, oh, wow, tagging from first on a sack fly must be tough. But it's. I think it's more a matter of choice. Most base running basically does not uh, usually ask you to do that. That is not, you know, the strategy there. But yeah. if it is, I, I think that we would. If if that was what all of a sudden became the priority in baseball, I think we would see a lot more. Not not regularly. Not to fly balls to you know straight away left or anything like that. But I think that probably. you know, if baseball wanted to, there'd be a ton of those tags and we wouldn't think it was quite so unusual. And, you know, particularly a play like that where you're sort of like, you're backing up on it because, you know, it's back deep and, you know, he's not coming in on it and he's got to sort of, in a way, feel for that wall and feel for the warning track and he's a little ginger navigating the area. So, I don't know. I, I feel like in that play, Davis didn't really do anything noticeably wrong and I think that Almora probably would have tagged on you know pretty much everybody in baseball except for Kevin Kiermeyer in that situation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. personally yeah. I haven't I haven't done a deep dive on it but yeah. that was my feeling so, watching it
1: so yeah I don't even I mean we don't have to dwell on the mistakes because as it turned out it just it all added to the drama and the suspense and the errors made things more interesting it it looked at least like. People were kind of getting affected by the pressure of the moment. I don't know whether that's true, but you could certainly perceive it that way. And normally good fielders were making fielding mistakes and normally good managers were making what seemed to be managerial mistakes. And I don't know, it's just it took so many different twists and was just so perfect the way it worked out that, I don't even you know, we could we could get into whether Madden pulled a pitcher too early or left another pitcher in too long or Francona called for a bad bunt and a bad intentional walk and all of those things are probably true, but I don't know. I'm I'm happy everything happened the way it did.
0: Which bad bunt did Fran- Francona call for?
1: Yeah, it was I think it was Roberto Perez in the third down one run after Coco Crisp's lead-off double, uh-huh. and it, it was early in the game, and they were behind, so they needed multiple runs, and so I didn't didn't think that was wait weren't they smart.
0: weren't they only behind by one though yes so they needed multiple runs that's true but I I mean we were all about to write the piece about how Dexter Fowler completely changed. You yeah. know the game by hitting that leadoff home run, and how this was a this was a this was a game that felt like it was being played to one because of the way that the pitch, pitchers were lined up, and just because we knew it was going to be impossible to score <laughs> in this game. So, I mean, you have to admit that like we we all had that lead written, and Francona is probably just thinking the same thing. Like he knows that if he's down one nothing in the fifth, it is not like a normal game where you're you know sort of playing seven or eight until you get to end game. Uh, this was a unusual circumstance, and I could sort of see playing to uh, to to get the tie there. And yeah. it's not it's not like Perez is like, I mean, okay, Perez is a fine hitter, but I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna justify the bunt on anything other than that. I, I'm not even gonna like because I, look, I I was tempted to make a stronger case that would have fallen apart. I'm just gonna leave the case where it is. I think that <laughs> that uh, there was a uh, I don't know there was a way that that run affected the next six innings potentially,
1: mm-hmm. and it just the, I mean the whole game was kind of a Culmination of the month, all of these storylines that we had been monitoring, not just, you know, who's going to win the World Series and who's going to end the drought, but all the bullpen stuff that we'd been talking about nonstop and the Indians, Kluber, Miller, Allen trio. And to win this game, the Cubs had to beat those guys and they did. And they scored runs off them like no other team had been able to score runs off of them. And all of the innovative managerial closer usage kind of I don't know whether it came back to bite them in this game but it it stopped working so well we had talked about whether there was a point at which you could keep pushing these guys and eventually they would hit some sort of wall and I don't know whether you can say Miller hit a wall he maybe pitched in some tough luck a little bit but he didn't look quite as unhittable as he had and you know I don't know if you can trace that to the the meaningless innings in game 4 or not or whether it was just a cumulative effect and it wouldn't have happened anyway but he was not quite as as unhittable he allowed runs in his last couple appearances and then Chapman of course was not his usual self and was not hitting his usual radar readings and was throwing lots of sliders that weren't very good and just didn't seem comfortable or or you know seemed out of gas so I don't know whether you can tie that Directly to the Game 6 relief appearance that everyone criticized at the time, but maybe it was also just a, a cumulative effect. But between those two guys and Kluber, who, you know, who knows, maybe he would have been bad anyway. People are bad on full rest starts sometimes, but coming as it did on the heels of two short rest starts, it was easy to tie that to how hard he'd been worked, so... All these things that we'd been watching for a a month just kind of unraveled right at the end, just in time for the maximum intrigue, because, you know, in some of these games it seemed like once you got a lead, that was it, and both of these teams were really, really good at preserving leads once they had them all year. But here the the Indians kept it close until late in the game, and
0: the Cubs had a lead late in the game and Neither of them could put it away. It really is an amazing thing to think about how, like, obviously we know like, everybody says, oh, wow, and it came down, you know, it came down to extra innings. It was, they played for seven games and they were tied, which is very dramatic. But what's really, <laughs> like, a, another way of thinking about that is that we already know that, that postseason is a bunch of small samples and that uh, seven games is not really the best way to determine who the best team is but at least it is 7 games and what this season ended up hinging on is literally a sample of one inning the, like it's almost like you have like a you're polling you know you're doing a poll and uh you say well we it's a, you know we're very we're very convinced that this poll is reliable because we had a you know we polled you know 4000 likely voters. And it's a huge number, except really, it was like 2000, 2000 at the end of it. And so then you pulled one extra guy and mm-hmm. declared a winner. And so like the sample is sort of big, but the margin is like, it, like literally zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yet, and, and yet, um, for you know, for the, you know, for the Cubs, uh, it counts as much as any four game sweep would have. And for the Indians, even though they were closer than you know, like there have been there have been uh, sixty eight World Series champions since they uh, since they won their last one, and uh, they are like they were closer than every other team. And it's we- weird. It's just weird. It's weird. I don't know why it's so weird to me, but it seems weird to me that a season comes down to a sample of one inning. Like it's what makes it fun. It's awesome. It's weird yeah. though. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, they were the best team all year, of course, and probably the most deserving from a, a talent and performance perspective. And so you could kind of say, well, they were the best team, and the best team won, and that's true. But yes, yeah, I'm right. more, they I'm more lost so easily.
0: I'm definitely more thinking about this from the Indians' perspective than the Cubs' perspective. Like I, uh-huh. the the Cubs, I I agree. I I I don't think you can build a better team than the Cubs, really. And Mm -hmm. they were fully healthy, which is an amazing thing. Like they played a World Series and
1: at the end, yeah,
0: at the Mm -hmm. end. And there wasn't they didn't have a single, you know, key player who wasn't available. And if they hadn't won, it just would have felt like baseball is just total chaos, Uh, (laughs) almost too chaotic. Uh, And so I they they built a powerhouse. And as you I think you wrote, they're going to probably be a powerhouse for a long time. I yeah. feel more like it, I'm kind of in the mindset of the poor Clevelander today mm-hmm. who, you know, doesn't have a powerhouse necessarily going into next year, uh should be good, but not a powerhouse, mm-hmm. and has to watch like an entire, you know, multiple generations uh were, were pending on a sample size of one inning. That's mm-hmm. well, that's hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would I don't know how I'd feel as an Indians fan. I'm I'm sure I'd feel extremely disappointed right now and last night to have come so close on the other hand i don't know maybe maybe time would make me feel lucky for how close i was just because the team was you know written off in some circles just because of how injury affected they were heading into the playoffs and to have made it to a game 7 10th inning against the cubs without Half of their rotation, or two thirds of their best starters. I mean, it was very impressive that they made it that far,
0: and without Brantley.
1: Yeah, well, sure. Was, Brantley too.
0: Like, if you look at the moves that the the Indians have made, it's sort of it's weird to think about how they all affected this team in ways that were totally unexpected. Um, so, you know, of course, you have. Some really great moves. You have the Carlos Santana deal, which was a, an absolute coup at the time, and turned out to be just as great as as you know every Dodgers fan feared. And you have um, you know the Kluber deal, which was like as I wrote about, he you know Kluber was the seventh paragraph in that trade story, and he ends up being uh, the best pitcher in the American League. Uh, and you have uh, you know some great player development, and you have some guys who who uh, worked out, and you have Francisco Lindor, uh, who was a great. You know, a high draft pick who turned out to be a superstar, and and that's sort of predictable. So you have this mix of predictable and unpredictable in terms of who was there and who was contributing. But then you think about the moves that that of players who were not contributing, and those were actually the big moves. Like besides the Casey Blake and trade, not even the Casey Blake trade. Like they were trading a guy who was a two month rental for the Dodgers. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be the trade that they built their fran- the next seven years of their franchise around. Lindor, yeah. Lindor is one, but I mean, he's a first round pick, but you know how many eighth overall picks turn into Lindor? Uh, not that many. Uh, and teams have had lots of picks that high or higher without. But so if you look at the the guys who um, were supposed the moves that were supposed to build this franchise, though, you have the CC Sabathia trade, which turned out great. They got Michael Brantley out of it, who was an MVP caliber player just two years ago, who is totally under, um, who is uh, a great player uh, paid below market rate because he signed this extension, who is one of the best outfielders in baseball, didn't play a game for them in the postseason, barely played all year. You have the Cliff Lee trade great Mm. trade you get carlos (laughs) carrasco back he's he's like a he's one of the eight best pitchers in the american league the whole cleveland indians 2016 season was built around having one of the best big threes since oakland like they were going to be the best big three the best front three in baseball and that's because when they had cliff lee they got value out of it they got carlos carrasco didn't pitch an inning in the postseason, <laughs> and then you have their big push to respectability. They're on the, they're right on the line, going from good team that's uh, been patient and waited for some of their young guys to develop. Now they're going to go over the top. They're going to get the uh, the last stars that they need to really make them a front-running team. So they sign Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne. Two guys who were coming off like three, four-ish win seasons. Born even more. I think Bourne was coming off like a six-win season at that point. And nothing from either of them. Never got, like basically never got a good game out of either of them. Instant collapses. And they end up trading those two basically as salary dumps. And, uh, and they contribute nothing to this postseason. So the unpredictability of baseball is worth, Somebody saying something about sometime. <laughs>
1: it's really an underreported aspect of the sport. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the Cubs kind of everything
0: worked out. What's exactly the, the way right other than it. other than Hayward? What's <laughs> yeah. the last move they regretted? I guess maybe if you stretch Starling Castro trade, but it's not like Castro has a place on this roster. I mean, no. he'd be the the most redundant of redundancies. Uh, mm-hmm. at this point. And so I guess you could say, well, they didn't you know, they traded a guy who was useful to most major league teams and, and all they got back was Adam Warren who who flopped. But otherwise you have Hayward who, you know, as Anthony Rizzo said, they wouldn't have won that game if not for the rain delay and Jason Hayward. So you could <laughs> make the case yeah, you could sure. make the case that he's the most valuable player in the history of the world <laughs> and that Dan Hirsch's championship probability added should just have like it should just he should just do like uh, Perez Hilton style he should just write Hayward in giant letters over it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but admittedly the Hayward deal has been terrible what's a name another move that they regret in like in the Theo Epstein era I know there's just so little there's not even a draft that's... pick can you even think of a draft pick they regret well I mean I, know, I, not, I guess in, not like all a, their draft right, picks in the sixth round but, leaguers, but, uh, first, but... <laughs> a first round pick though their first round picks under yeah. Theo were almora who okay but he's a contributor
1: sure and he's 22 or whatever yeah
0: right and uh then bryant who of course and then good. schwarber and then ian Happ, and mm-hmm. like so you you know if you i don't i don't know that any team will be able to say they got more out of their f- you know that four-year run of first rounders than yeah than they will ultimately. yeah
1: and maybe i mean the fact that all their moves seem to work out predictably is maybe at least partially a product of what those moves were and the way that they went after position players and just decided to figure out the pitching later and sign free agents and trade for undervalued pitchers from other teams and then just make sure that they drafted and developed position players who, as we know, are more predictable and more dependable, although not so much that you can just take it to the bank that everyone is going to be the part of your, your World Series winning foundation. So
0: Michael Bourne, by the way, was 29, coming off a six-win season, and in the four seasons before this, he had 19 wins above replacement. 20 wins above replacement? He went 6-3-6-5 in the four previous seasons. And then they sign him and he produces 3.6 wins over the entire life of the contract. Uh-huh. <laughs> Other than the Arietta move, is there a Cubs move that Turned out in a way that was, I guess, not predicted. Like Lester has well, been great, but he's like an. Oh, yeah. Well, Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was going to say.
1: Yeah. And obviously, he was picked up at an earlier point in his career. I mean, he made his major league debut with the Cubs. So it wasn't like he was Arietta coming off of struggling with another team. But yeah, obviously, you don't trade for a guy and expect him to be a possible Cy Young winner. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible how they managed to do that. I. I don't know whether we give them too much credit or whether it's even possible to give Theo Epstein too much credit after all that he's accomplished, but I don't know. I mean, the only things you you tweeted last night that he should now, what, take over the Angels or get Mike yeah. Trout a, a World Series? Somehow. Well, yeah, <laughs>
0: I said that he should end the Mike Trout World Series drought, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't realize that you could also... Take that as saying he should trade for Mike Trout, which would be fine. Yeah. I recommended it earlier this year, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's, I was more, never mind. I was more saying about he should go to the Angels. Like yeah. implying that it was just as important to me and to baseball mm-hmm. fans and also just as challenging. Mm-hmm. It was mostly a joke. Was there,
1: uh, <laughs> is there a game you remember having more fun watching? Yeah. Game story
0: concerns aside. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a bunch. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is a great game. It wouldn't bother me if you said it was the greatest game ever. But yeah, I mean, I don't think. The I mean, game you didn't. Was you didn't greatest, even ask but. me. You didn't ask me if it was the greatest game I ever. Didn't. though. You just asked if there's a game I had more fun. I could probably name fifty.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. All right. I guess. Uh... If you're, I don't know, watching with your friends or your dad or something, and it's your first baseball game or, yeah. There that are was a good one. It's one of the 50. reasons.
0: Dale Murphy but. homered, and uh, Jose Uribe got in a rundown. <laughs> got out of a rundown, in fact. Got out of mm-hmm. a rundown. And when he got in the rundown, we all screamed, Pickle! <laughs> it's a great game.
1: I remember nothing about my first baseball game. How old were you? Other than the Blue Jays played the Yankees. That was it. How old were you? I don't know. Don't <laughs> even remember that. Okay. Yeah, I can't even try to baseball reference find it. There's just no context clues. Uh-huh. All right. I, I think even that I think we've I what think else we've, should we talk about? I think we've game? even
0: talked about my first game before, and I think that I looked it up. I might have I don't remember if this was a lineup card at VP or if I looked it up on this podcast. And I think that I misremembered key details that I probably just uh-huh. repeated. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh what else could we talk about? Well, um what do you make the Cubs of players in particular But well everybody really But the Cubs players in particular And the media in particular Making this so much about the rain delay Rizzo said that there's you know He didn't think that they could have won without the rain delay And once the rain delay happened He didn't think that there was any way they could lose And I Is that
1: solely because of the Hayward pep talk?
0: I think so Yeah okay. I mean that's that's what is cited The Hayward pep talk That just them bringing each other together Hayward the the Verducci account, the Hayward uh, speech seems fairly short. I don't even see Hugh Glass mentioned in it. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. But then it was followed by you know a bunch of uh like everybody sort of jumping in like, okay, I'll just quote. We're the best team in baseball, and we're the best team in baseball for a reason. Hayward said. We know Hugh Glass's story because he lived, and we know it because people. Oh wait, sorry, no, I. I switch back to mine. Okay, uh, We're the best team in baseball, and we're the best team in baseball for a reason. Uh, now we're going to show it. We play like the score is nothing-nothing. We've got to stay positive and fight for your brothers. Stick together, and we're going to win this game. Other players began to speak up. Keep grinding, Chappie. Chappie, we've got you. We're going to pick you up. There's no, this is only going to make it better when we win. I don't know if that I don't <laughs> the too microphone long picked to up that shop. I was moving around there. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I find it interesting how much they want to be in a story that, like, it's not, <laughs> it's not enough to say we're like, wow, we're really good at baseball and we just outplayed everybody. And <laughs> yeah. in the tenth inning, we scored more runs than they did. And because those, that's the rules of extra innings, they ended the game and and we won the World Series. And uh, we're so glad you're happy. Instead, there, there's this uh, instinct or this urge drive to make it about a narrative that they are only actors in, that they aren't even, like, they're not even the authors of this anymore. They are now being kind of moved around by this, I don't know, fate or um, movement or, like, revolution or something like that. So I wonder when you see this, does do you do you bristle at all at it? Is it at all frustrating to you that it's not simply enough that they built an amazing baseball team? <laughs> uh, that won a bunch of amazing baseball games because they they hit the dingers. I
1: guess I understand the impulse, but I'd like to know what the Indians were doing in their clubhouse during the rain delay. We have to know what the the Cubs clubhouse over replacement was during the rain delay, but yeah. I Yeah. when I was watching, I mean, I loved that there was a rain delay. I didn't want a, a long rain delay, obviously, but I thought that was just the perfect length that was like The game just froze there on the verge of being over. It was 50-50 after all of the craziness that led to that point. I think the win expectancies were perfectly even at 50-50. And then suddenly it starts raining and it was just perfect. And it played right into everyone's jokes about how this game was never going to end because no one would be allowed to win and all that. And obviously it would have killed all of the buzz if it had been an hour-long rain delay or something. But 17 minutes was just the perfect amount of time to take stock of everything and appreciate the moment and savor all the suspense. And I, when I was writing, I didn't know any of this inside Clubhouse stuff. So I barely even mentioned the rain delay other than that there was one and that that kind of added to the weirdness. But it wasn't at all essential or integral to my enjoyment of the game to know that there was this Clubhouse pep talk going on. So If they want to tell themselves that, and obviously they felt it was an important part of the story, but I I didn't need that. I didn't need someone to to give the, the Hollywood sort of speech to make that game special. It was pretty special without that.
0: Yeah, I'm going to come out in favor of it in this particular case, and not 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 because it's the Cubs, although there's a you know good case that the Cubs are already part of. Like every one of these players is playing in somebody else's story. That this is a a story that has been you know has had many many acts with many many different characters, and in some sense they are part of you know they obviously are part of that story much more than you know say the 2014 Giants were or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But. Uh, I also like I also like the Rizzo thing. I, I understand the Rizzo impulse in this case because I really do think that well, okay I'm gonna I'm gonna probably make some stuff up as I go and maybe get progressively deeper or and make progressively less sense but okay I was thinking about what Cubs fans are feeling today and I know a lot there's a lot of different people having a lot of different reactions to it and some of them are, uh, still still drunk or still, or still figuratively drunk And they just could not possibly be any happier And this happiness is going to build and build and build uh, But I know that there are probably a lot of people who are like me Who woke up this morning and were really happy that the Cubs had won the World Series But there was also a little part of their brain that they were suppressing That was sort of looking at the polls and realizing that In fact, they were less happy than they were last night, like that the giddiness (laughs) had worn off. And Uh this little part of the brain that is, you know, anxiety or or any whatever knows that it's never coming back, that that they got a hit that will uh, just never be matched. Uh, And they know that it's now a sort of a a little bit of a slide forever now where this World Series will be. Further in the past and less, mm-hmm. uh, less in front of them. Less, maybe even they fear that it will be less meaningful to them, and that they will, you know, come to just sort of bake this into their life experiences. But it will, it will never seem as important as it is right now because it, you know, in a sense, it's not important. It's just, it's just a baseball game played by people who are not you. And I don't know if players feel that way as well. But I do think that baseball players play partly because they, they like the money, they like the attention, because we're all, you know, we all have to have a vocation and this is their vocation. They do it for the same reason that, you know, that you edit this podcast and it's, a, it's their duty on this earth. But I think they, I think the thing that makes it, <laughs> but I think the thing that makes it really special for them or the thing that that makes it, something that they love and treat not just as a job is that they they come to believe that the team aspect is actually bigger than the game itself and that even if you lose you have teammates that will be friends for life that you can trust forever that you'll always have these shared memories you'll always have your uh, your inside jokes and your jargon and your you know they'll have your they'll they'll send you texts when um when you know the AP reports 45 years from now that you um are, uh, I don't know, sick. <laughs> Does the AP do that? <laughs> when, uh, anyway, and so in a sense, I think this was really just about uh, recognizing that they were a team, that the team aspect of it was incredibly important, not just to the push and not just to the success, but to the experience, uh, win or lose. Uh, and it's a way of, I think, Rizzo uh, romanticizing that team really almost to the breaking point but uh, in a way that will make it permanent and memorable and that will treat the team as bigger than any individual personality as we sort of build the history of this championship
1: and at the very least it will make people more patient with Jason Hayward <laughs> i guess
0: so that's true too yeah no, <laughs> i i i think you're right i like i would bet that if if i had if i were um you know if i had some sort of omniscient Pakoda that was 100% accurate I would bet that my projection for Jason Hayward would go up after that uh-huh. speech. That whatever yes. it was, was lower. When when he was going to—granted, uh, every Cub is going to be cheered uh, relentlessly during the first game of next season. But uh, Hayward gets a few extra at-bats before, I think, he has to start pressing again. Because people are going to love him. He's going to hear about how special he is to this team. He's going to feel supported. Yeah, He probably already was going to, but he's going to feel more supported now mm-hmm. He'll feel like he earned it You want to feel like you're contributing
1: Yeah, he he did make some good defensive plays, which he did all year But to have the pep and talk that, some
0: great base running as well
1: Yeah, sure, but to have the pep talk that made the Cubs win According to maybe the best player on the team Or best hitter on the team Or second best hitter on the team that's uh, And the longest tenured guy on the team That's pretty important I wonder how Hayward gets to be the guy who delivers that speech. He's not it's the often, oldest guy. He's not the longest tenured guy.
0: I find that it's often a surprise, and yeah. maybe it's that being the oldest guy. Maybe I—I I mean, if you had to guess who it was going to be, you'd probably guess David Ross. Right. And if not him, I don't know what his personality is, but maybe Lester or maybe Rizzo. And mm-hmm. Rizzo is the star. He's the uh, longest tenured cub. He's yep. also got this great, it, it seems like he's got this uh, great outgoing personality. Lester, of course, is the proven winner on this team. The most mm-hmm. sort of serious one without being uh, a red ass. Locky. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. And and then Ross is is grandpa, right? He is everybody's. It's like Rizzo said, uh, he's like my best friend, my dad, and my my brother, which is a fun fun family to imagine. Uh, <laughs> But maybe being a leader is uh, partly is about having unpredictable voices step up as well. I I don't want to take any of the agency away from Hayward uh, because Hayward Hayward did this. Like, this is absolutely something that Hayward did. Uh, And maybe it was him all along. Maybe he is the leader all along. But there's, I don't know, maybe there's some benefit to it being a voice you, again, I I feel like I'm cheating Hayward. I was going to say a voice that you haven't heard before. For all we know, he's always the guy. Who gives the yeah. speech? Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I don't know, but the fact that Hayward is not good at baseball right now uh, mm-hmm. makes him a surprising candidate more than right. more than anything else. Yeah, and um, and I don't. So you know, maybe it, maybe it means more coming from a surprising candidate. I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I
1: right. like
0: I like Hayward a lot, by the way, and I yeah sure am really like I was rooting for him. This I I thought if I'd had more time. I thought about basically just tracking the Jason Hayward redemption narrative throughout this postseason, and Mm -hmm. it just and so in the back of my head, I was watching every at bat, thinking, "Well, if I were writing that piece, this if he gets a hit here, that'd be big." And he just he kept not getting it, and I wish I had been working on that piece all along. There's no way I could go back now; it would take way too much time. But if I'd been working on it all along, it would have been amazing because it the redemption came. And it wasn't even on the field. Mm -hmm. If you Mm -hmm. buy, I mean, if you buy, but it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter if you buy it anymore. Yeah. It's there. All right. Good for him though.
1: Yeah. Anything else? (sighs) No. Okay.
0: While we were talking, uh, Andy, Andy Martino at the uh-huh. New York Daily News, wrote a piece. The headline is "Joe Madden did his best to try and add to Cubs' misery. He choked as manager in the World Series." <laughs> this was tweeted. This was tweeted on the um, by by Andy. Thusly, he he said, "Actually, Joe Madden was so awful, I craw- crawled out of my hole to write about it." Uh, so, is this an article that you are uh, eager to to read right now, or are you? Uh, do you have? Feelings of no, rejection toward it.
1: I don't disagree that he didn't have a great series, I think, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't really care to dwell on it right now.
0: If you did want to write this piece, if you felt so strongly that you did want to break down every move and make the case that the Cubs won in spite of him, what day is it acceptable to you?
1: Hmm. I mean, the longer you wait, the less relevant it seems, right? Or I wouldn't do it the day after, but i wouldn't wait that long because at a certain point it'll just be why are you why are you bringing this up when everyone has already had a parade and everything so i don't know maybe i'd wait till tomorrow uh-huh
0: i <laughs> i think that there are certain things that that don't hold for a month that you can't wait a month but you can wait 30 years uh-huh and i wouldn't mind writing this piece well what you hope for is that madden gets another chance in the world series some point in the rest of his career and you get to write about it then and show how much he learned like t- i think yeah. i i wrote last year i uh, terry collins remember let matt harvey go into the game uh-huh. back out for the ninth inning and it blew up and he, yeah you just felt so terrible for terry collins and i wrote a piece then that was basically about everything he had learned from his challenging from his sort of previous managerial failures and mm-hmm. how I think I as I recall it this was uh it was a move that reflects like the sort of impossibility of being right all the time but also reflected the growth that Terry Collins had made and how much better he was as a manager than he had been earlier in his career uh, and so that's a different situation but that's sort of like I think you could dive into Joe Madden did a bad job at some mm-hmm. point in the future it's, it's fine yeah. today it's he's, like, he's not people. writing he's not writing for a Cubs audience or a Cleveland audience he's just You know, he's a New York columnist. Why not?
1: Yeah, it's easier if you lose the World Series and then go on to win it later or something. But if you won it anyway, I don't know that anyone's all that interested in reading about the things you learned or the mistakes you made. That's true. I'm just waiting for the Roger Angel take. I have the New Yorker's Twitter open in a tab. And I'm excitedly clicking over to it every time there's a new tweet. And there is just one that said, Roger Angel. And I thought, yes, this is it. And no, it's a link to his election piece. But hopefully sometime soon. Anyway. All right. Well, great game seven. Great Cubs season. That was just the most fun season by a baseball team in a while, I yeah, think. Yeah, I agree. And so that was great. It was fun to watch them from afar or on TV, all season, and uh, good playoffs, so thanks everyone for listening.
0: Sorry, can I do one yeah. more thing? I, sure. I I cheated everybody on a play index yesterday. My play index was yeah. garbage. Uh, <laughs> I have a slightly, I, I have a one that I did this morning. I was curious, uh, there were 34 games in this postseason, uh-huh. and I was curious what the the most is, and that's, in a really quick and dirty way, that's sort of a proxy for how good the postseason was. Because like like yeah. like I said, game sevens make up for a lot of bad game twos, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were four, 34 games this year out of 43, and the all-time record for most games in a postseason is 38. So that uh, we were four short of the record. 38 was done in 2013, but it was also done twice before the wild card round, uh, including in 2011. 2011 there were 38 games in. 41 possible games whereas this year there were 34 out of 43 so that 2011 um postseason was quietly really amazing and i don't think that i was writing for you yet i wasn't writing for you yet no but yeah that was a great season the uh 90 uh, the 2003 matched it they also had 38 out of 41 and um, if you go all the way back, that you can find seasons where there were max, uh, there there were every possible game was was played, uh, but only in the uh, LCS rounds, which is not obviously not surprising. In '72 and '73, there were 17 games possible and 17 games played. There were still five game LCSs at that point, so it was f- you know five games, five games, and seven, which is not that impressive. There was uh, in '85 and '86, there were 20 out of 21. So that was after they went to seven-game LCSs. Uh, and those are pretty much the the peaks. So um, I wish I'd thought about this earlier in the postseason uh, because that would have been something to uh, to watch and uh, keep mm-hmm. track of. But 79 is kind of pretty close to the average. Um, there's There have been years. 2007, there were only uh, 68% of the games were played. Uh, there were 28 games out of 41 possible, which is crazy. Yeah. Um. So 34 is kind of close to the median A little bit on the low side
1: Uh-huh All right Well, they packed a lot of excitement into those games So we will leave it there You can support the podcast on Patreon By going to patreon.com slash Wild. Five listeners who have done so already Corey Lack Joe Karras, Nick T, John Speed, and the great Meg Rowley. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash effectively wild and you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you want more Game 7 talk, Michael Bauman and I have an episode of the Ringer MLB show up. We talked to Robert Mays about his Cubs fan euphoria and we drafted our favorite moments from Game 7, Effectively Wild style. I mentioned this yesterday, but one more quick plug. The only rule is it has to work. Our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball Team, which is our book that you can find Out more about at theonlyrulesatastowork.com Is up for a Goodreads Choice Award for best nonfiction Book of the year. We would love it if you would vote For us because the first round of voting ends on Sunday and you can find a link to the Voting page pinned to the top of the Facebook group, which again is facebook.com groups slash effectively wild Or you could just google Goodreads Choice Awards You can get the discounted price of $30 On a one year subscription to the play index At baseballreference.com One more quick plug, I have started another podcast it won't be of interest to all of you. It's a video gaming podcast, but I'm doing it every week with Jason Concepcion at The Ringer. It's called Achievement Oriented, as in video game achievements, get it? Our first episode went up last week. Our second episode goes up tomorrow. So if you're at all interested in video games, please check it out. You can find it on the main Channel 33 feed on iTunes. You can contact me and Sam at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. We will talk to you next week. I just
0: wanted all to go away.